0: So, Rick has planned the service, so we've been singing about Philippians 2 5 through 11 throughout our uh, worship time thus far, talking about his name and that he is King of Kings, some of that drawn directly from these texts. And we're in the theme, Come Down for Christmas. So, we're asking the question, How did Jesus come down for, question, uh, for Christmas? And that That makes sense to us. We understand that Jesus left his throne of glory and came down as a babe in a manger. And uh, so we ask the next question then, well, how do we come down for Christmas? If we're to have the same mindset as Jesus, how do we come down? Let's read the text together. I'm going to start in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2 where it says, in your relationships with one another, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, this translation of the Bible starts out with this, in your relationships with one another. It does so because the pronoun you is plural. In the King James, it's, Uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and you don't get the idea that the you is plural. What the Apostle Paul is dealing with is the attitude we have in our relationships among one another, in the church of Jesus Christ, in our small group, in our care effect team. What attitude should we have? What kind of mindset should we have as we go to work, as we fellowship with Other believers and even unbelievers, what sort of attitude should we have? Now, Jesus is the supreme example, all right? I hear people contest this and say, the question, what would Jesus do, is not relevant to a Christian. But I would protest and say, oh, yes, it is, in a lot of different ways. Jesus told those disciples, come follow me, right? (laughs) Come follow me. John, in 1 John 2, 6, says, if we say that we know him then we ought to walk as he walked. Our walk ought to be like the walk of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul here is saying, Jesus had a particular mindset and you need to model that mindset. That needs to be your mindset too. So Jesus emptied himself. That's how the New American Standard translates this uh, verb which here in the NIV says, he made himself nothing. In the King James, it says, he made himself of no reputation. It is the verb kano'o, and actually people have been studying this and debating it for a long time since it was written, I suppose, and there is a whole school of theology that's built around this one word, the word empty, canonic, theology and certainly there is canonic Christology which is about the emptying that Christ did and there are debates about what that exactly meant but when I thought about it I thought about going through airport security don't you love that? how many of you just love airport security? yeah you, you get there and you think man I can't hardly wait to take off my shoes, take off my belt, put my wallet on a this cart and let it go through the little black curtain with my phone and my keys and everything important to me, my glasses, the change in my pocket. They want everything, okay? And so you stand there and you empty yourself. You put it all in, but you know you're going to get it on the other side. You're doing it so you can get through. You can accomplish. You can go where you need to go. Well, Jesus emptied himself in that way he did not permanently surrender any qualities of deity but he hid his majesty and glory in a cloak of flesh now the glory of god was revealed to the shepherds in the field that morning that jesus was born but he just looked like a babe in a manger to everybody that saw him and his glory was not really fully revealed through his whole ministry here on earth, although there was the Mount of Transfiguration where he became in a brilliant, shining white light and was transfigured, the Scripture says, before them. And Peter, James, and John who saw the transfiguration were never the same after that. And they refer back to that mount where they saw him in his glory. So he was fully God, even as he was fully man. This is our understanding of Jesus and who he was. But he laid aside those qualities of uh, deity that he might become one of us. He came down for that first Christmas. He came down from his throne. He came down from the center of the universe. Down to a stable, to a field, outside of Bethlehem, to a manger. And what does that mean for us? It occurred to me that maybe coming down for us is not quite like it is for Jesus, but we follow in a similar way. The Son of God is perfect, we are not. And perhaps the call this Christmas... And I want you to hear this the way I intended, okay? Come down off your moral high horse. Okay? This Christmas, just come on down. Out of that seat of judgment on your friends and family. Just lay all that aside and come down this Christmas, okay? Make yourself nothing. Make yourself, not somebody doing this to you, make yourself of no reputation. Set all your credentials aside and come down this Christmas. Your children will be delighted to sense this in you that dad loves me and I don't feel judged when he looks at me this Christmas. Yeah, your, your spouse, when you say good morning, she replies to you. If you come down this Christmas, will sense, you know, there's no condemnation in that, there's just acceptance and love. For many of us, it'd be a different way to be because we feel like we are the moral arbiters of our clan or our family or our tribe or our friendship circle. And maybe we are, I don't know. But Jesus said clearly, judge not that you be not judged. And so I'm suggesting to you that you come down from the moral high horse this Christmas. Now, Jesus in a way did this in that he was the judge of all the earth. He himself said that the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. In fact, every believer will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. but not on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day, he set aside the scepter, which is the symbol of his judgment, and came as an innocent babe in a manger. He showed himself to be the true friend of sinners, And in so doing, he scandalized the crowd that judged everybody else, those pretend judges in Jesus' day who wouldn't and couldn't keep the laws they laid down so severely on others. It seems that everybody in the human family suffers from this desire to be on the judgment throne. And it just works its way into us since Adam and Eve were told, don't eat of the forbidden fruit. Well, what is that forbidden fruit they ate? It is fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tempter said to them, you're going to be like God. You're going to be so wise Did God say you would die when you ate of this fruit? You shall not surely die. You'll be like God. God himself, you'll know good and evil. And so we have this tendency in our heart. We want to be up there, the moral arbiter. We want to sit on that judgment seat. And our family senses it and our kids sense, our friends sense it. That place where we are. And so I'm suggesting that you just come down this Christmas. We know in our hearts it's not really a fit. Our family knows that we are sinners just like them. We're not fooling anybody with our high moral tone. Nevertheless, we insist on looking down our noses at all the sinners below us. We judge ourselves better than them. You know, just, I mean, most of the people in the world, we're, we're better than them, the folks that we know. We're healthier, more righteous, more noble. And so we have standing to pass judgment on others, we think. So, in order that Christmas might be all it should be for you and your family, Would you just come down this Christmas? Put aside your scepter and love the folks around you. I'm afraid if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, you might just be the Grinch who steals Christmas. All right? If you can't come down from your moral high horse, You might just steal Christmas from somebody that really needs it maybe you think about those fishermen that Jesus called maybe they were coarse and profane I don't know and you might pass judgment on those that Jesus befriended and if you did you just might steal Christmas from them. That tax collector that Jesus decided to love, maybe he's not somebody you want to hang around. And he gets the sense that you have this moral superiority. And in your judgment on him, not hanging around those kind of people, you might just steal Christmas from him. He really needs it. A woman caught in adultery, maybe you want to throw her at Jesus' feet too. She's wrong. She was caught. She's dead wrong. The law needs to fall upon her. And in your judgment of the one who was erred, you might just steal Christmas from her. Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus. Forget about his past and all the bad things he'd done. He just was running to see Jesus. He's like those shepherds. Let's go and see. Gail DeBoard sent me his Christmas meditation. It was built around that thought. Let's go and see. That's all Zacchaeus wanted to do was just go and see. But the crowd murmured and complained. He's not the kind of people we want hanging around us. And we don't want Jesus hanging around him. And Jesus picks up the murmur. And he goes to Zacchaeus's house. And salvation comes to Zacchaeus's house. But for your Zacchaeus, if you sit in moral judgment when he just wants to see Jesus, you might steal Christmas from him. The sad thing is that if you have this sense of self-righteousness, that gives you permission to judge the people around you. You might just steal Christmas right out of the manger. For the whole point of Jesus in a manger is that God has sent a Savior the sinful people like you and me, and if I am comfortable in the works of righteousness that I myself have accomplished, then I don't need Christmas. I don't need a Savior in a manger, thank you. I'll go on my record and stand before God, and I'll bet you my good will outweigh my bad. And you just stole Christmas from yourself. Yeah. The law came through Moses, John noted in his prologue. Grace and truth came through Jesus. There's something about this babe in the manger that will not allow you to ascend to some high moral authority. There's something about the innocence of the babe. The scandal of Christmas is that God would become flesh. It seems morally impossible for the Almighty to be clothed in weakness and corruption Some insist on moral grounds that it cannot be true that God could not become a man in Jesus of Nazareth. The perfection of deity would never stoop to such a position of vulnerability and need. And I feel their discomfort with the idea of God's incarnation in Jesus. How could a perfect God After all, endure such proximity to sinners. To be born into an imperfect family where jealousy and envy and anger and fear are up close and personal. To be exposed to the foul language, the filthy jokes, and the faulty judgment of humans. It is incredible that a perfect God would become a human. The central truth though of Christmas runs counter to our natural inclinations and our own moral judgments. Knowing ourselves, we suppose that perfection could never be clothed in flesh. But we see Jesus of Nazareth in the manger. Toddling around Bethlehem, fleeing as a preschooler with his family to become a refugee in Egypt. We see him in the temple discussing lofty ideas with his teachers. We imagine him a teenager going through those messy, difficult adjustments to life as he achieves adulthood. And it just is hard to imagine that through all those circumstances and stages of life, he remained perfectly morally pure. Cannot conceive that a human being could walk through decades on the planet without committing a single sin. How could it be Well, he emptied himself. He emptied himself of self-promotion, of the longing to be honored, the desire for glory, the love of titles, position. He emptied himself. In his life before Bethlehem, he was morally perfect in every way. Pristine. Being in very nature, God means the Son of God had no scar or wound or stain upon him. And after he ascended the scripture says he went back to the Father and he sat at the right hand of the Father. He sat in the seat of judgment. Here is a being so morally pure that he can make judgments of all the complex situations and things that confuse and disturb us. And his judgment is perfect in every way he is Able to perfectly balance justice with mercy and truth. With love. All the things that we struggle to understand. Jesus understood them perfectly. And yes, even in the path of his incarnation. During his earthly sojourn with Mary and Joseph and those 12 young men. He remained morally pure. He knew perfectly what was right and wrong in every moment of every day as he walked with his disciples. Yet he did not sit in judgment. He refused to do it. He was asked to decide a case between but brothers and he refused. Who made me a judge over you? He told the young man that wanted him to make that judgment. And then he turned from that scene where he is asked to make this judgment about two brothers. And he talks to the disciples and those who follow him about greed. He tells the story that haunts us all about the rich man whose harvest was so great that he had to have a bigger barn. He said, I've got goods laid up for many years. I'm going to take it easy now. And Jesus says... God said to him you fool this night your soul shall be required of you then whose shall all these things be that you have accumulated (laughs) Jesus pointed to greed because he's the master of identifying the heart that is stained we like to look on the outside God looks on the heart Jesus drove it all back to the heart. It's not just murder, it's hatred. It's not just adultery, it's lust. It's not just stealing, it's greed. All these feelings and emotions and attitudes that go around in the heart. And so Jesus, the perfect one, suspends judgment and teaches us judge not that you be not judged you say well I've got to make judgments in my job or as a parent and I understand that but this is the thing if you come down this Christmas you deal with failure around you as a fellow sinner on a journey fully aware of your own failures and so dealing in mercy and grace and love with those who fail around you. I a mean, Christmas is about us being sinners and needing a savior. Unable to save ourselves, God makes a way where there was no way. In that the Son of God steps down from his glory to become a man among us, to die on the cross for our sin, and so provide a way for us to be saved. Christmas is the message from on high that God loves sinners. Aren't you glad God loves sinners? Christmas is God's effort to unseat us from our high horse and help us see our need for mercy and forgiveness. It is his message to us. I know you are a sinner, but I love you anyway. True repentance is you coming just as I am Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Repentance is not you confessing your sin and then confessing the sin of everybody else. Yeah, I did wrong, but everybody else did wrong too. That's not repentance. Repentance is not you setting yourself up morally where, but my infractions were less than these others. I had a low, a different sort, a lighter sort of sin. These others, they committed terrible sins. That's not repentance. See, if you condemn others as you're supposedly repenting, there's no repentance in your heart. Anybody can walk into the church, look around and say, God, I thank thee that I'm not like these other people. Well, you know you're a sinner. Yeah, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm so much better than the folks I know. I mean, anybody can judge themselves morally superior. But when you leave out those doors, you're in the same awful spiritual condition as when you came in. And there's no Christmas for you content in your self-righteousness, willing to condemn others, saying you are better than they, taking that spot there on the moral high horse, you just lose the opportunity to enjoy what God did for you at Bethlehem and Calvary. And so God calls us to acknowledge who we are and to come without one plea. Jesus said, there was a man in the temple who prayed to God, not, I'm thankful that I'm not like other people. Or even like this guy here. He says, the fellow here, he wouldn't even lift his eyes up and look to heaven. He was so broken about his condition. And all he could say was, Lord. Lord. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't know about those other people. Maybe the church is full of hypocrites. Maybe none of them mean what they say, but I'm just dealing with me now. It's just me and you, God. And I know who I am. And I'm saying, Lord, I need your mercy. I need your mercy. I want forgiveness I know how broken I am that's the man or woman who really celebrates Christmas because Jesus came into the world to seek and save sinners Isn't that good news aren't you glad and there were in that same country shepherds yeah You read it quick. Low man on the totem pole, day laborers, uneducated, poor, probably pretty smelly. There were in that same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were very afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you, unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You're going to find this babe." Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The supreme example of the condescension of the Son of God, so that he might rescue us. Bow with me, please. As we bow our heads... There may be somebody in here who who just needs Christ in your life. And you know it. Would you just pray, Lord Jesus, I need you? Would you just ask him, Lord, please forgive me for my sin? Would you confess that you believe in him? That you believe that he died on the cross for your sin and rose again from the dead? Would you pray that prayer? Lord, I need you. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Maybe you've been a long ways from God, and he's calling you back to himself this Christmas. And the wonder of Christmas is taking root in your heart again. And the prayer you need to pray is, Lord, once again, I put all that I am upon the altar of your love. God, we pray that you might have your will in us so we might really be able to celebrate Christmas this year. In Jesus' name, amen.